0: My thanks to this week's sponsor, Montrose, of Soham, Cambridgeshire. There is no better group of ones for flower power
1: Than forms of the shrubby potentilla Producing single rose-like flowers Continually from June to the first frost
0: Hello and welcome to this week in the garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries along the way. At last, that uh, cold, biting wind has eased and we've had, uh, I think what I could describe as some pretty good December weather, mild enough to uh, get out and get on with jobs that really are long overdue in the Floral Fantasia up at Hyde Hall, where we've uh, taken the time to put out some sweet pea plants, just pinch the tips because they were getting quite tall, starting to break from the base, and uh, put them out under environment mesh. With the fairly mild nights, they should settle down very nicely, and I think they're established enough that uh, the mice and rodents uh, won't damage them. I have heard that... Uh, Jim McColl, that much-loved Beechgrove TV gardener in Aberdeen, was less lucky when it came to weather and was without power for two days and blocked in too, apparently, by a fallen mature horse chestnut across the road for five days. I'm glad that uh, I didn't have to put up with uh, any of that, but it was good to hear from Jim. I've had quite a busy week meeting up with the BBC Garners World Live staff to discuss plans for their events, including the NEC Birmingham, back in early June on the 16th to the 19th in 2022. I also had a meeting with uh, Chris Moncrief, the RHS uh, Horticultural Trials Director, with uh, what turned out to be very encouraging plans for uh, developments at Hyde Hall in 2022 and 23. Our local horticultural society held their social workshop and they had uh, skilled florist Robin Rayner showing the members how to uh, fashion a table decoration uh, using a jam jar. And pretty good they looked too when all those jars were lined up on the various tables with the single dark red chrysanne some scarlet spray carnations and a wide range of evergreens including obviously uh, holly and uh, holly berries and uh, the really lovely purple fruits on viburnum. At the local school at last I've uh, had access and could dig and manure a few square feet in the polytunnel. I mean, it's had nothing in it for, well, very nearly two years. And I've belatedly planted some uh, autumn onion sets in five different cultivars. soil was very dry, so uh, they needed watering in. And some were left for teachers and their young pupils to pot, along with the narcissus, multi-headed narcissus to be grown in pots, as part of the Murray-Curry National Day of Reflection. That's the 23rd of March next year, when um, folk lost to the COVID virus are remembered. The new restrictions on travel introduced over the weekend will, I think... uh, reduce uh, some of my away-from-home activities. Uh, I had, the previous week, visited a couple of local garden centres and big gaps were showing in the Christmas lines. I mean, where weeks before there was a forest of Christmas trees, now there's some really big, wide-open spaces, so uh, it looks as if they've had uh, a pretty good time. I'm saddened to tell you that uh, well-known broadcaster and nurseryman Derek Cox has died aged 93, a general nurseryman of the old school, offering a, a very wide range of trees, shrubs, conifers, pretty well every hardy plant the uh, gardener might want to obtain. He set out on his uh, gosscoat nursery in 1964 in Cossington, Leicestershire where he contributed columns to the local newspapers, wrote books and worked on BBC Radio Leicestershire's down-to-earth programme for 50 years. Seems unbelievable that we've had local radio for 50 years, but uh, there we are. Howard Drury, West Midlands gardening pundit, said of Derek, my mentor and co-partner on gardening, a much-respected proper horticulturist, one of the true gentlemen in our trade. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Thanks Derek for all you did for us. When it comes to seasonal advice, could I suggest you cast an eye over winter flowering pansies and violas? They're flowering pretty well, especially if they're against the house and underneath the overhanging eaves, which just keeps them just a little bit on the dry side. But take time to check them over to Deadhead, to look to see if there's any uh, aphis knocking about, and also to watch out for signs of leaf spot and downy mildew. If you do see any of those kinds of uh, fungus problems, a spray of Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic will uh, deter the disease and stiffen up foliage to uh, withstand winter conditions. On the Q&A front, Michael sent in a photograph of a parsnip. It was a really well-grown root but had been eaten into uh, around the base where the parsnip gets a bit thin. It looked akin to carrot fly attack, although some of the grooves around the outer skin were several millimetres wide and deep. I think too big for carrot fly larvae. And I think a bit low down, that pest, if it does attack parsnips, tends to be up closer to the crown. A photographic quandary that uh, is testing my brain cells... Now, as I mentioned in last week's podcast, when I spoke with my guest, Doug Harris, of Penwood Nurseries, and we spoke for quite some time and so divided the interview into two halves. Last week, Doug spoke about his travels and this week you'll get to hear a little bit about his business in the UK and his area of special expertise, hot pipe grafting. If you missed part one, Well, go back to last week's podcast. And for everyone else, here's part two. We start with me asking Doug about how his nursery, Penwood, began. Well, we must get to Penwood. How did you fall into that, Doug?
1: Well, while I was working at Reading, um, I was living in Berkeley, almost where we are now, I kept a small cottage, small house, very small house, really a cottage in Berkeley while I was working at Exbury. And while I happened to be there, land ne- nearby came up for sale. It was accommodation land, so now bet planning permission. It had been derelict for 11 years. Um, so it was covered in scrub and birch and brambles and nettles and, and there was an old car in the corner where some chap had been living because <laughs> um, it was away from the road. It was tucked away in a minor road. And so I made an offer for this land and I found it was going up for auction. I was told that if I wanted to make an offer and the owner of this land, who at the time lived in Wales, was prepared to accept um, an an offer, I had to get the contract completed within, I think it was about 12, 14 days, because an auction has to be cancelled at least three weeks in advance. So I had to do it in a hurry I found I tried to contact solicitors to do the conveyancing, and they said, "Oh no, it'll take weeks and weeks and weeks." Couldn't do this. Forget it. So I bought a book um, called "The Conveyancing Fraud" and found out how to do conveyancing. Stayed up two or three nights reading it, then drew up a conveyancing document. My wife typed it out, and we drove up to Wales with this document to the vendor's solicitor. And he said, where's your contract now? I said, well, here it is. And it was on typed paper. And he looked a bit askance and grinned and said, well, you know, normally when a conveyance, we, we do it on a rather good paper and parchment and put a bit of ribbon in the corner. He said. <laughs> he said, would you mind if I retyped it? So I said, no, as long as you don't alter it. So he typed it. Um, all his, his secretary did, and I checked it, and we signed it, and all was done, and we had a drink together, and, and, and the vendor was there, and we went on our way rejoicing. And, and I managed to complete it, did all the searches, went up to London, and my wife did, um, and did all the local searches, and did everything that we had to, seeing whether they were going to build a power station next door to us or not, all these sorts of things. Um, we did this in our evenings and spare times, and my wife did the running around, and we completed within the time. So it was taken off auction, and we paid the sum that was asked, and that was it. We moved in. Um, it was scrub. Um, my wife went back to work. I did anything I could to earn a crust, did contracting, did contracting advisory work this garden design because i'd had previous training in that of course and we did this for a year or two till we got the glass house built we, we had to clear the scrub we had to clear the land we had to drain it and i've got local contractors to do that while i was trying to earn some money elsewhere we put a wheat crop down a couple of wheat crops winter wheat crops down just to clean it up because it was in a filthy state and then i stopped doing the contracting We'd built a barn, Mean Bowl, a contractor had built a barn. Then we built a glass house, which we bought secondhand. And it just gradually grew. Uh, and uh, we, we struggled on, didn't have uh, any money. You know, I'd started off, as I say, working for pocket money as a schoolboy. And here I was, about 45 years old, still earning pocket money. It's a ridiculous <laughs> life, you know. <laughs> you don't do this unless you're a bit, you're a bit odd. <laughs>
0: But Doug, you now you now have a nursery that yep. is a that is a mecca for anybody interested in plants and gardening. I I, I well, like the quote actually on your website that that says, uh, "Penwood is not a garden centre, but a centre for gardeners." I thought that said it all.
1: Well, we do get a lot of gardeners here because we do a terrific range. We propagate as much as we can because I like doing it. We do it from seed, um, tree shrubs and herbaceous. We do it from cuttings and we do grafting and budding a few roses in the field. Um, we tend to, what has happened is that um, we can sell more than we can grow, um, which is a bit of a problem. Um, so we have to buy stuff in, but if it's rare, um, we grow it ourselves. And if it's common, like the commoner hybrid tea roses, we'll, we'll buy in. If it's a rare old-fashioned rose that we can't buy or it's very expensive, we bud it ourselves. And that's the way. It's like oaks. We'd, we graft about 20 different varieties of oak, but we buy in all the common oaks, you know, the, the petraea or the um, dermastos and the pedunculate oak. Um, I must not get into Latin names or botanical names, um, but we buy in the common ones, um, but the rare ones that we can't buy in or are very difficult to import or, or, or buy in, then we grow ourselves.
0: And, and the subject I wanted to get through to you was about... Um, hot pipe grafting, I have very much in mind the sight of uh, you and Mr. Poloski and Peter Dummer sitting in that rather nice warm position grafting during the winter <laughs> whilst I was out on a rose nursery digging <laughs> by hand prickly evil rose bushes. Well,
1: <laughs> oh, it serves you right, yes.
0: <laughs> but I think we should explain... I mean, you have several means of propagation. You've mentioned seeds and cuttings and grafting. We can graft and bud in the field, but your great skill was indicated by the fact that you were grafting rhododendrons, presumably using a saddle graft.
1: That's right. That was years ago. where We we would graft those. We would cut the top off. uh, Those days, we used rhododendron ponticum as the understock and cut a tapered, top to it, uh, an even cut on both sides of this, say, two-inch high stump, which we'd cut back. Then we'd cut uh, the corresponding saddle on the scion, which is the variety which we were trying to propagate, and join the two together, make sure all the tissues are in touch, bind it together, and put it in, at those days, a closed case, um, but not too hot. Often we did it in the spring, in, say, March time, so that it didn't get over-hot, otherwise the, the, the scion would desiccate. Uh, and then we'd keep it moist as we could um, to stop desiccation and and hope that it would join but that's saddle grafting is rarely practiced these days because it takes so long
0: well the only time i've done it was for ndh finals at wisley yep um, <laughs> and it was with some trepidation
1: well you obviously had great skill to do it <laughs> with somebody looking over your shoulder
0: <laughs> i mean it's it's fairly straightforward to cut the rootstock so that it's like an inverted V, yes. but the scion you've got to cut into it so that you've got the same shape cut into that tiny bit of wood.
1: Absolutely. It, it's it's highly skilled and, and you can show someone how to do it, but before they could do it uh, 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 to be reasonably assured of success, and especially at a, a reasonable speed, you've got to do several years of it. You can't pick it up in a day or two. That's the clever part. Is any craftsmanship. Uh, the, the carpentry is, is simple what you have to do, but putting it into practice is a quite different story, as you well know.
0: And if you go to nurseries today, there would be very, very few that can bench graft, I think it would be fair to say, and you are still doing it at Penn.
1: Yes, we are still doing a little bit of it because we're trying to maintain plants which are being lost to cultivation. Um, Brian Humphreys, you know, has just written a fantastic book on bench grafting. It's, it's a tremendous volume. It's probably about 800 pages. It's really heavy going um, unless you're well into botanical propagation. Uh, anyone who works for a botanic garden or at a college or a university should own that book. That information has, has been tucked away in the crevices of gardeners' minds for, I would say, decades. Um, and now... Um, it's, it's open for anyone to enjoy and, and to participate in.
0: Now, one of the techniques you use at Penwood is hot pipe grafting. Now, can you explain why you do it and mechanically how you get warmth where you want it?
1: Well, let, let's start from the beginning, Peter. It, same with the cutting. Um, if you take a cutting, it, it's a battle between getting the roots on it before the top shrivels up and desiccates and dries, right? Yes. It's the same with grafting because you're you're taking the the top off the understock, Um, although it's growing in possibly a a, a small pot, a three-inch pot, and you're also taking a shoot, generally a one-year mature shoot if you're doing a bench graft during the winter, um, and you're trying to join the two together. Now, I, I know I'm going back to basics, so forgive me for this. But when you're cutting through, there's layers of tissue within a shoot and the outside, um, you've got the, the bark and, um, then, then the, the phloem. Then you've got the cambium, which is absolutely essential. Then, um, inside you've got the xylem. Water goes up through the xylem into the plant, into a normal plant, and then photosynthesis occurs. They make sugars and they it comes down in the phloem on the outside of the xylem. Now those tissues are right close together near the outside of any stem. The tricky bit is to match up the xylem of the understock and the cyan on the top, and that's the tricky bit. Now, I say this because um, that's where the carpentry skill comes in. It's easy to draw a picture of it, but it's actually difficult to do because you've got to keep the knife straight, and the two, and the the cuts have to be absolutely straight to join so that they uh, unite, callus over, and make one plant. So you've got the benefits of the rootstock, giving it the vigour, and then the splendid uh, scion variety, like, like if you're doing an apple, um, you'd graft it onto a wild apple seedling, or the equivalent of, you'd put um, a Cox's orange pippin onto it. And you, you, no good sowing a seed of a Cox's orange pippin, it wouldn't come true. And that's why we graft. So when we're doing the grafting, we graft when we can't do anything true from seed, it won't come true, or it won't root from a cutting. So we have to use the root of one plant and put it onto another. Now, hot pipe system, what you're trying to do all the time is to get the thing to callus over and to join, the tissues to join, before the root stock runs out of water, dries out, and before the cyan that you're putting on top desiccates as well. If you put too much water onto the root stock, it will start or try to grow. It will send water up through the, from the roots towards the stem, comes to where the cut is. There's no union. So it bleeds and it stops the union occurring. On the other hand, if you have the cyan on the top, which you're grafting of the splendid variety, which you're trying to propagate, that will desiccate under normal conditions but you want heat to make the union form because any grafting situation when any plant is a chemical reaction it's an organic chemical reaction and when any chemical reaction the more heat you can give it the quicker it will occur so you want heat where the graft is but you don't want heat on the leaves at the top or the stem or it will desiccate and you don't want it on the bottom on the roots otherwise they'll push water up and dislodged the graft. So a few decades ago, some bright spark decided to have a, a warm pipe. He ran some warm water through a pipe. Uh, and temperature, of uh, the water was around about 72 uh, or 21 degrees Celsius centigrade. And he rested against it, and a callus formed quickly. And it formed before the sign had desiccated and before the roots had dried out because you're not, you can't water them, otherwise it bleeds. Are you with me so far? I'm with you 100%. Lovely.
0: A- and I'm in marvel of the bloke whose idea it was originally, Le- leave alone people who now use it.
1: Yeah, well, it was an amazing thing to lean it against a, a pipe, a hot pipe, as they used to call it, but it was only, as I say, at about 21 Celsius. Um, and they leaned against it, but the problem was it only tended to callous on one side because it was leaning against a pipe. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so uh, it occurred to me that there had to be another way and and you want it to callus all the way round, and, and to get this chemical union uh, of, of the tissues, in the middle of the roots and the cyan, the top part of it, we devised a system of our own. We cobbled it together. Imagine a rectangular gutter, but instead of being made out of plastic or iron or whatever it is, we made it out of. Uh, a type of foam we, we bought a sheet of this foam on ply board and cut it into sections so we made like a gutter and it was about four inches wide at the base and, and two inches high at the side laid it flat and it was, it was about three meters long this initial one then we made did exactly the same again um, so we had made another gutter then put, inverted that and put it on top of the first gutter so what you end up with was like a foam tunnel And then we ran a cable through that, like a soil warming cable. So we had several of these tubes, one butted up together, and then ran a cable through that, blocked up the ends, so that we had a warm tunnel where we placed the grafted plants so we grafted the plant in the way a side veneer graft which is not a saddle graft but it's very similar we would lie it on 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 the side um on on so that the roots would be in the cold the grafted part two or three inches of that would be inside the warm foam tunnel then the the, the top part of the plant leaves or not would be sticking out on the other side in the cold it's difficult to explain, but do you understand what I'm, where I'm coming from? I do. I understand entirely, yes. Right. Well, it was so we did this, and, and, and this worked remarkably well. And we got callus, rather than waiting four or five months, we got callus on three weeks, especially on birch, and then on magnolias, and oaks would take round about five or six weeks. But we were getting a cracking callus, and this was before they even came into leaf in the spring, because so we were doing this in midwinter and the colors, we were taking the plants out of our hot pipe or insulated cable tunnel, yep, yeah, uh, and this gave us a tremendous advantage. In fact, we got two crops in in one year of, of grafting um, by uh, warming the grafting area um, and keeping the, out, out the roots and the top side cold. Uh, and that's the only modification that we made to somebody else's idea.
0: And, and when do you do this, Doug?
1: Well we start around about December, and it's with the early stuff to get get some of it done and out and out in within four or five weeks and then in January and February, we can do another batch in the same in the same tunnel so that's it's a winter job that we do because once again it's easier to graft in the winter because the plant the cyan variety the top part doesn't have any leaves so it's going to desiccate desiccate more slowly when if you do a summer graft and we can do this but not on a hot pipe system we don't dry it on the hot pipe but a summer graft you can do but then you have to take the leaves off in the winter they haven't got any leaves on so it it slows down the desiccation period of the scion and and you've got to get the union going before
0: the top dies or uh, dries out That's, that's the principle of it Somebody told me recently you should learn something new every day before you go to bed, and so there we there we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: anyway, that, that's what that's, that's how we we we, uh, we 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 do most of our grafting that way now, and and it works very. We do it with beech, um, we, we beech graft, and um, we do cirsus, siliquestrum, the Judas tree. Um, because they are difficult to graft we even do walnuts walnuts are notoriously difficult to graft because they have a, a pith inside and, and it often rots so we can get a, a, a callus on the graft union and on a hot pipe system faster than doing it on a a, a closed case or on a bench
0: absolutely fascinating Uh, Doug, thank you very much for uh, all you've had to tell us us today. Uh, uh, What young people are you training to follow in your footsteps? Do you think uh, there is another young person out there who, when they leave college, is going to uh, set off around the world and meet all those people and do all those things?
1: (laughs) Well, horticulture is a fascinating career. Um, It's a very strange career, but it does offer tremendous opportunities like myself. I wanted to be active and outdoors, and yet I was still interested in the science and technology of plants. This is why I can encourage people to go into horticulture, because if you don't like the sort of thing that I'm doing, scratching about in the dirt as a nurseryman, you can go into a whole range of other aspects of horticulture, in botanic gardens, in the science, in plant medicines. There's a whole range of things that you can do with the right attitude and the right training. And, and you adjust your training and your studies to what you want to do eventually. And I suppose indirectly, without thinking too much about it, that's what's happened in my case. And it's happened with you too. You, you love this horticultural journalism. You know, this is a, a very sound career for someone interested in horticulture. And you'll be much richer than a nurseryman.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> for our listeners... If they make the journey to Penwood, what will they find?
1: Um, (laughs) Well, I I was told many years ago that a local journalist wrote in a newspaper that this is the nursery that shouldn't exist um, because we're tucked away on a sea road, uh, we don't advertise um, and we're rude to customers. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i can't i can't i can't believe that you're rude to customers i won't accept that
1: yes that was a friend of ours who said that but but anyway that's that's what happened and, and, and it gave us a lot of good publicity and a lot of people <laughs> laughed um, and we don't produce a catalog um, people just uh, turn up um, and, and customers of course uh, uh, like everyone knows but in the trade everyone knows but uh, uh, your amateur readers won't like to know that horticulture would be the most wonderful career in the world if it wasn't for customers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You've heard that many, many times. And uh, in some ways that's uh, um, uh, true, but it's also a lot of nonsense. But we do have our amusements with customers. Somebody came in the the other day and said, can you recommend a plant for a small border, around about 60 centimetres high, a little plant? So I, I said, what about lavender? Ah, lavender, they said. I've heard of that. What colour is it? So I said, well, it's sort of lavender. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and they said, oh, that's interesting. Does it smell? And I said, yes. They said, what does it smell of? I looked at them. I thought, you're winding me up. But they weren't. They were deadly serious. And I said, well, do you know like lavender soap? It smells just like lavender soap. Oh, that sounds nice, he said. And just just this week, somebody came in and said, can you recommend a climber? I'm trying to think what it is. I can't think. Can you give me some name of some climbers? So I said, well, honeysuckle, clematis, wisteria. Oh, that rings a bell, clematis and wisteria. They said, um, yeah, I said, those two, could be one of those. They said, which one has the flowers? And I said, well, they both had flowers and I described the flowers and they decided it was probably a wisteria and that's what they wanted. <laughs> anyway, that's probably the rudeness that <laughs> that uh, that the original journalist wrote about us. Um, but um, no, that we, that, we've got about 3,000 different plants here at any one time um, and we try and keep that up. It's a big range. So I've already mentioned we do about 20 varieties of oak which we graft we do about 20 varieties of beech about 20 different cherries and 20 different mountain ashes and this sort of thing we buy in uh, fruit trees from one of the best growers in the country and i'm sure you know who it is um because we we don't cope with the, all the fruit we buy in some herbaceous but propagate some of our own from seed it's a big range um do we have a specialty well our specialty i suppose is the, the, the variation, the the, the range. It's, it's the big range that no garden centre could probably match the range that we have. And I suppose the one that I particularly like is witch hazel. We bud rich hazels, um, probably more than most people. And why? Because I particularly like them. And my son does that. My son, Tim, uh, tends to bud the witch hazels. So that might be a speciality, but not really, because we do other things as well. Um, but it's a small, it's very, it's amazing what we produce. You see, although the site is a little larger, we're only producing on about five acres. And, and, it's, and then we're budding a few roses and field grafting and budding a few trees. And it, it, it's quite incredible um, what we can turn over, but it isn't enough for the demand. Doug, I very much look forward to calling in sometime soon. Yes, I wish you would. It'd be lovely to see you again. It's always a pleasure.
0: And what of the tailpiece? Well, a quote from Sir Walter Scott. For success, attitude is equally as important as ability. The will to do and the soul to dare. Uh, They come to mind when I'm foolish enough to express uh, an idea or two. Uh, The ideas are uh, too easy to put forward. Getting them into practice requires uh, the will to do and the soul to dare. Have a good week look forward to being back with you uh, next week at this time. My thanks to this week's sponsor Montrose of Soham, Cambridgeshire to my producer Rich Jarman and of course to you for listening from John to the
1: first. All Hold up, what
0: was that?